0: Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. I'm Robin Ayoub, your host. Join me for captivating conversations with industry leaders exploring localization, translation, and global communication. Ignite your curiosity as we expand your horizons through these conversations. So let's dive in together into the Localization Fireside Chat. Good afternoon, everybody, everybody, and welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. My name is Robin Ayub. I'm the founder of this uh, young channel that just started in April. And um, this is the objective of this channel is an independent voice self initiative. I started it myself uh, without anybody pushing me to do it. I felt compelled to introduce a new voice to the industry. So today I am honored and I have the distinct pleasure to have with me Mr. John Fennelly, who is the CEO of Linebridge and my boss. I have the pleasure to uh, be talking with you as well, uh, John, today, and welcome to the channel.
1: Yeah, Uh, thanks for having me.
0: And thank you so much for being here. So on this channel, John, we say there's two categories of people. People that they are, they have a story of, you know, by accident, they joined the industry somehow, and those who are purposefully, they wanted to join the industry since they were young, they went to universities, they studied, they ended up in the industry. So if you don't mind sharing with the audience your story...
1: Well, well, thanks again for having me and and I, I don't think anybody's got a better story than you do. So I don't know if you've shared that with the audience. Maybe that's for another uh, episode of the podcast. So I've been the Lionbridge CEO for six years now. Um, it has been an amazing six years, uh, which we could talk all about. I um, I think like lots of things in in my life meandered into with you know the overall plan on where I wanted to get to, but the language industry wasn't one of them. Ironically, um, I'd been the CEO of, of another company, completely unrelated to language. And I got a call, that company's being sold. I was looking for something else to do. And I got a call from somebody and they said, hey, you know, there's this opportunity to this company in the language industry. And, you know, I went and talked to these guys and, you know, it wasn't that appealing. I got a call a couple of weeks later for a similar, op- the same opportunity and, and to be the CEO, potentially CEO of a language company. Um, so I said, hey, what's going on here? I, I You know, I, I got to learn more about this industry. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I got a call from a friend who said, hey, I know some guys, they're buying this company. They're looking for, a, you know, an accomplished CEO to come in and uh, you should talk to them. And I said, oh, I'm not interested. Everybody keeps calling me at this job. And then we talked a little bit further. He said, no, that's not a job. These are different guys. And I was like, OK, there must be some fate and karma here that's pulling me gravitationally to the language industry. And uh, that was... Probably seven years ago, and uh, and then you know lots of back and forth, and then finally I decided to join Lionbridge just through the time um, when uh, it was taken private, and uh, it's been it's been amazing um, on so many fronts. It fulfilled a lot of career ambitions I had. It was a big Lionbridge itself. For those who don't know, is a big global, um, relatively complicated company. What I think should be an uncomplicated space. Um, and with a uh, an amazing workforce that uh, is large and global. I just as I was a couple of minutes late for our podcast. I just flew back in from Europe. I was there this week. I had the pleasure of uh, opening a new office um, for us in, in Warsaw, Poland. Uh, but I think just in general, my experience with Lionbridge and with so many people, you included Robin, um, that have great backstories and and ended up in the language industry from really a, a, a wide variety of walks of life. Um, many are global. Many have lived like you in other countries and, and were raised in places they don't live today. Um, and and I think there's just wonderful, wonderful people in the space. And and it's been just an absolute pleasure.
0: Well, you know, uh, I remember and I think you you have a Canadian connection since I am located in Canada. I got to tilt the conversation a little bit. To sure, sure. And I think you have some sort of a Canadian connection because I remember yeah. uh, part of your uh, journey uh, through your career, you worked for Thomson Reuter, which...
1: Either. I did and before that I worked for another Canadian company and so I have long roots in Canada where I spent quite a bit of my career traveling back and forth to Canada spent a lot of time in Toronto Montreal uh even Vancouver at some point uh and so great affinity to Canada great people and uh, and and I think that's why you and I hit it off when we first met was it, in Ottawa.
0: was it Ottawa when you in arrived? Ottawa yeah yeah so, in Ottawa Excellent. Excellent.
1: Well, now- it's interesting in New York, for those who don't know in Canada, and it, it is literally an hour flight directly from New York to Toronto, an hour flight to Montreal, and an hour flight to Ottawa. You kind of go across the spectrum east-west, um, but very accessible and easy to get to. And in fact, I'm, I'm actually coming up to Canada with my son um, in a few weeks, I think in mid-December, we're coming up to see um, – we're big hockey fans here in the States. So we're coming up to see the uh, our team, the Rangers, play the Leafs.
0: Oh, excellent. So you're going to be in the Toronto
1: area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd would love, would love to see you uh, in Toronto. Yeah, we'll, have to, we'll have to meet up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's uh, move on a little bit in terms of now that you became the CEO of uh, yeah. Landers, I guess, and uh, the question becomes – uh, you take on this large responsibility, 6,000 employees around the world, 50, 50 offices around the world, and you just opened a new one you just announced here on the channel, which is great. Congratulations. Uh, Breaking news. Let's, let's talk about the transformation um, yeah. to Lionbridge, because at the end of the day, in this industry, it doesn't matter if you're a big player or a small player, there must be some transformation being done to meet the, A, uh, the market demand and the, the challenges, the tech side uh how the how it's been influencing everybody not just not just language take us through the transformation because one of the things that I've noticed since you took you took office in in language is there has been a shift to growth it has been a shift to uh more uh focus on uh the customer more focus on the market Etc so did you have you know if you would go through the challenges you had to go through some convincing some other areas that you had to change in the company?
1: So, I, transformation in general, to me, is is it, it it's ever present and 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 ongoing, right? Markets change, your your opportunities change, and you have to you have to change to, to stay ahead of the of, of where you need to be. Um, I think with us, the transformation has been multifold, and and we, as you know, um have a complex, we're in a complex industry, which I always found interesting thinking that, you know, okay, like in essence, and I've explained this before, um, the language business is a lot in many ways to me, like the Uber model, uh, where the Uber model is you have a a passenger that needs a driver and Uber does a very nice job in close to real time of matching up um, a a passenger and a driver. Um, the language industry is very similar in the sense that you have content and you need to get that enriched, and enhanced by an expert linguist. Um, and so the batching platform essence, the, you know, the translation management company system is the matching engine that gets you to a curated crowd of highly specialized uh, specialized localizers. Now, it sounds incredibly simple, but as we know with Uber, the platform is quite complex as, as it is with limebridge And um, we have, an enormously large number of workflows and we've cataloged you know thousands and thousands and thousands of workflows that our customers have um and so when you look at that there's a hidden as I call it a hidden tax that is in that in the language space and so you try to simplify it and the reason you do that is threefold one is you want to have better delivery for customers you want to have you know the two paramount things in this business which are in life contradictory speed and quality uh, and and at the same time you want to have a great experience for the linguists and the translators that are part of your community to bring the real value to the customer um, and and so to me that's an ever going transformation is how do you simplify that and really start to have technology do a lot of the things in automation and routine tasks that traditionally have done um, by humans i mean the language industry is quite fascinating since you know it, you know, it probably its inception humans have had to touch content. They've had to analyze content. They've had to figure out content before it even gets to somebody who can enrich and and translate and and localize content. Um, So that's one aspect. And then along the way is the, you know, AI becomes more and more prevalent. Now, a little known fact to many in the language industry is that we've used AI before it was even a common term, right? If you go back to the 50s and the first machine translation that was done with IBM scientists, uh, translating, I think, you know, it was, it was Russian in any in, any in act, I believe, in the original precursor to the supercomputer. Um, and so, you know, if you think about how much now the machines translate content, it's been a constant evolution and transformation on that end as well. And that will continue. And you think about, um, you mentioned we have 6,000, we slightly more than that employees now, and um, we want them to do more interesting things to work on higher value added activities that can bring more to the customer. Um, and we're in the process. We've seen that year after year after year. We've been able to do that. We'll continue to do more of it. And so um, it's ongoing. Uh, you know, as you know, what, one of the, the key priorities I set for the company is simplification, which means a lot of different things to, to, to people. To me, it's a, it's, it's a constant transformation of complexity to try and make it easy. And the reason it is so important to me is simplification means two things to me. One, it's very easy for your customers to do business with you. And two, and maybe more importantly, it's easy for your folks to do business with customers. That's right. You're absolutely correct. And on that note, um, you know, I've been talking
0: to a lot to a lot of people on this channel, and everybody seems to be focusing on the AI portion of yeah. the of the technology and how it impacts the translator. The objective is to make the translator or the ling- linguist a lot more productive than they are right now, dealing with a massive amount of content in a shorter time, etc. However, if you if you take a scan across the entire industry, I think there's like 19,000 companies in the industry. There are about 18,000 something. And most of these companies they hire project managers because the model is your translators on the outside and your project managers on the inside, right. generally speaking. So if the internal is population of employees is mostly clerical, I would call it or project manager or customer service, whatever they are, I have not seen a lot of innovation coming on that front. What's Agreed. what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I th- I think hopefully where we're headed is that um, the project managers will bring more value to the customer, and instead of being an orchestrator of file transfers and tracking work and tracking delivery dates and tracking you know capacity. Um, which are all ripe to be, um, I think, augmented and enhanced by AI. Um, the real value add to me will be what insight and analytics can they bring uh, to the customer. And so, what's and what's already happened is is translation industry is not new, as I said to AI. And what we've seen over the past several years is there's been an explosion in content, which continues. Um, at the same time, the size of the job that we get gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So on one aspect, humans cannot continue to handle the volume at the same pace that they have traditionally. So it's very important. And it's not a displacement of human resources, but it's an enhancement of human resources to right. get project managers to, to, to work on, on either, you know, better client relations, understanding more about what the client's doing, understanding what parts of a client's business is documentation, is it marketing, is it website refreshes, a variety of different things that we can bring more insight and more value to. So I think that the modern-day um, evolved project manager will have to be a lot more focused on the end end customer result and the end result. Um, and, you know, as I've written extensively about it, and as you've seen, um, there's a fear that permeates well beyond localization of translation, that AI is going to be a huge displacer of jobs. And um, I was reading something on the plane coming back today that, you know, 10 years ago, there was a seminal study and, and people said that automation, there were two two famous economists who said automation is going is to eliminate half of the manual labor jobs that are out there. Now, what we found in the early returns, even with generative AI, is in fact the opposite. Um, that star performers whether it's in sales whether it's in translation whether it is in customer service or other or other service-oriented industries that are that are right for for um i think transformation with ai have seen that low performers can get either booted out or boosted up and star performers will use ai to their advantage and excel very interesting and and i think we're going to see a lot more in in the the data that comes out Um, but the most important thing that I keep telling our company on a weekly basis is don't be worried about AI taking your job, but you should be worried about career advancement and job security from someone who knows how to use AI. And I think that will be one of the great skill sets that will evolve over the next three, five, 10 years is people that are very comfortable with technology, very comfortable in saying, Hey, How can I use this? Um, How can I enhance what I do today? I mean, one of the things that I I think is is probably fascinating, if you're a high-performing salesperson, you want to go out and talk to as many people as possible, right? I mean, to sell as many products in whatever industry you're in. AI in general allows you the tools that are out there today to talk to more people, to cut through the wait times, to get through the email, traffic, analyzation, summarization, there's so many different things. And I think we're already starting to see that the star peak performers are say, hey, this is not a threat. This is a tool. I can use this and I can ma- and, and, and I can really multiply my um, my productivity. And, and of course, in that profession, my earnings. Um, so I think there's a myriad of examples of it. Um, and. We'll see where it shakes out, but I, you know, I mean, a long-winded answer to your question about project managers, but but I think it it you know it speaks across the industry. I also think to your very specific to localization industry, as you said, there are there are tens of thousands of localization firms that are out there. Um, my guess is that because technology will be needed to scale um, as the size of translation jobs get smaller and smaller and smaller, and we've already seen that over the years. Um, where post-editing is now more prevalent than it's ever been. Um I think a lot of the small um language companies that were really started by translators, and what's a unique to thing to the language industry, I think with so many husband and wife translation teams right. that, <laughs> that adopt the landscape of the language business. Um I think that many of them will probably join other larger enterprises. And, you know, I'm not sure this is a great thing, but my guess is that over the next couple of years, the big potentially will get bigger.
0: That's right. And, you know, funny, you mentioned that because I've been talking to a few people on this channel who are specialized like mergers and acquisitions and et cetera. And they're telling me like they're very active right now um, in terms of deals that they're going on in the industry. So to your point, uh, there's a lot of people are trying to think exit now.
1: Yeah, I think what's happening is um, at, at the and, and I don't mean for anybody to take this the wrong way, at the lower end of the market. Um, I, I, I think there's a fear that technology um, may surpass the capabilities of some of the or the budgets and the investment capabilities of some of the smaller firms that are out there. Um, and they're looking to exit if possible.
0: Yeah, that's right. Now there are also like those, uh, you know. There's a, a meeting in uh, Quebec uh, actually last week or the week before. I can't remember. Otiak is the association yeah. of translators of Quebec, uh, and um, there is a pushback here, uh, you know, against technology um, for from from the from those types of association yeah. individual, and you can see it in the sentiment when you know you mention AI they shy away from it. But I think the floodgate is open and the genie's out of the bottle. And I don't know anybody can stop this, the advancement of this type of tech to invade not just the localization for the industry. I mean, I'm hearing about it in engineering, in automotive, in construction. Um, it's going to be part of everything that we do
1: on the, on a day-to-day basis eventually. History tells us that once a new technology comes to, to your point, it's very, very difficult to put back in the bottle. Uh, and, and, and so I harken back to when I got into this business um, and I went to some conferences and machine translation was a dirty word or a dirty term. And, um, you know, I talked to a lot of translators and nobody wanted to talk about machine translation. It was this existential threat. It was going to put them out of business. Now, fast forward five or six years, I don't think there's a translator that doesn't use machine translation as their own productivity tool and so i think many of them couldn't even envision that five years ago because they said oh my god all my earnings are going to go my my, i'm, I'm in trouble i've got to find something else to do machine translation now nature of work's changed they may have more content um smaller jobs more transaction oriented um, but potentially the same earnings power and I and I do think it it, it you know it, it could depress wages because the size of jobs will get smaller um but the number of translators that are out there has not noticeably diminished over the last two three four five six years
0: and and, and they you know we talk about this quite a bit is the amount of content being generated especially now yeah. with the of generating content like AI can generate content now like quickly, easier. And of course, there's still need a human involvement in it at this stage, but the production of content has accelerated and that content either needs to be curated somehow, uh, revised, uh, translated, yeah. edited, etc. So the amount of work is not diminishing, that's for sure. Uh, and, you know, one of the uh, conversation I'm having here coming up is with the academia in, in, in Canada, yeah. and academia, specifically on the language side of things, uh, and, and that's a facing that's an industry that's facing shortage of students coming in in proportion to the work that is waiting for them. Right. So it's solving an issue. The delta between the content and the capacity to produce is very large. And to fill that gap, we'll need a lot of a lot more people than we can produce in universities today. And I hate to use the well, word. Well,
1: I think I think there's two really good points there, Um one, which is, you know, and I set an audacious goal for our company a couple of years ago say, hey, localize everything, right? We want to localize everything. And people looked at me like I was crazy. I said, oh, how can you do that? I said, well, you can't do it with people. There's no way you can do it with people. You can't take all the content sets of the world. There's not enough translators to go out and do that. Um, the second important, but very different aspect um, if you go across, a wide variety of industries from financial planners to truck drivers, um, to medical professionals, to translators and on and on and on and on. The average age continues to, to rise. And there were the, and this is endemic across you know, many industries in many regions where our workforce is getting older. Canada's a little bit younger. US, the average age is 38. China, the average age is 38. Japan, the average age is 48, some places higher in parts of the country. Um, and so we have a rolling problem of an aging population not being replaced, um, but with the same number of workers. And what this will fuel, in my um, estimation, a tremendous amount of innovation that's going to come. And I think AI is actually something that's going to be able to solve some of the, the workforce demographic problems that we've got is that we'll be able to augment and make workers more product productive by using tools, not displacing them, but actually helping them because they're gonna to have to do more because the workforce just isn't regenerating at the same levels that it traditionally has.
0: Correct. And you know this this issue has been in the plaguing the, uh, the transition industry or the localization industry. Yep. Uh, the average age of the translator, uh, the people exiting the, uh, the business or the industry versus the people entering the business it's been a, a bit of problem everywhere and you notice like people in their 70s and sometimes in
1: their 80s they're still translating um you know it's, it's well I I just I just read an article um this morning about a company in Vermont where Vermont in the U.S is I believe the oldest state okay um and they have the mo- the highest number of people over 65 the highest number of people over 50 and the low their unemployment rate is 1.2 percent mm-hmm. Oh, they wow. can't find workers, whether it's in a hospital. And the, one of the examples he use was a chocolate company that is getting ready for peak Christmas time. And they're bringing retirees back. They're paying twenty five dollars an hour for entry level jobs to come in, seasonal jobs. Um, and uh, they're trying to use more technology to figure out how to package things up and ship things. But I think it's, uh, you know, an interesting little story, but representative of a lot more, a lot more to come. Absolutely. And, you know, jokingly here saying this, like, if you need a job, go to Vermont, I guess that's the, (laughs) that's the, well, that's, I I believe they're the state here in the US that has been paying people um, that have a certain educational level commit to a certain amount of times they've been giving um, checks for people to come and move professionals to move into the state. I, I'm interested,
0: John, in your opinion, now that you've, you've been in the industry for a few years, you come from outside the industry, you're on the uh, CEO council for the CSA council. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in your view on, you know, I had this view, but now I'm deluded a little bit because I've been at it for 20 years. So my view has been
1: shifted, <laughs>
0: but you're, you're still in the zone. What is your view on the industry from, you know, looking at it, what you've where you come from and what your experience now with your peers with your colleagues in the uh, in the industry
1: um, that's a really good question so I, again like you know I said before I general lots of nice people um, and I think in, in what you've had is a lot of um, not unlike other industries where you had a lot of um, you know small entrepreneurial entrepreneurial firms um that 15 or 20 years ago could have never envisioned how big they'd be today. And so they didn't build these firms to the scale that they've reached today, particularly from a technology standpoint. So I think uh, across the spectrum, the industry is a little bit behind on the technology curve. Uh, I think half of um, the people that I've met that run other language companies, um are five years behind where we need to be and i think the other half are are slowly waking up to you know that it it is a a technology arms race to a degree to make sure that you can process very large um, volumes of content profitably uh and um i think the race is on and and i think you know the MA environment is, has slowed down quite a bit interest rates have come up and and um, you know across all industries for the last 18 to 24 months uh, but i but i think as that window lifts you'll see more consolidation in the space and and i and i do think a few years from now you'll probably have two three four very large players in the language space that are doing um Massive amounts of post-editing, verification, um, prompt engineering, um, maybe the subscription model comes in for certain things from a technology standpoint that, you know, the industry has tried to get to for years. Um, and so we'll see, but it is um, uh, an evolution that could turn into a revolution.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, uh, you've got a very good point in terms of uh, the evolution and adding services to some of those companies yeah. where they would like to survive and move on in, in the uh, move to the next phase of their business cycle. Because if you're not, if, if, you know, of course, the industry will always have the small boutique ones where customers, they want to deal with boutique uh-huh. companies, but for the majority where the bulk of the work is going to be in that middle space to the, you know, high volume area where you need transformation to accommodate those, uh, those
1: types of customers or those types of Market now, one- yeah, and, it, and it's a tricky one um, to know what, where to make the right investments. I mean, it, the, the evidence is pretty clear that the companies that that make um, the right capital allocations will outperform. Uh, and understanding where you need to go, um, and you know, the easiest decision uh, to make oftentimes is to do nothing and the status quo. Um, that is also the decision that oftentimes, you know, allows companies to atrophy and and, and, and suffer. Um, And you have to make some bets at some point about where you think the industry is going and how, in in our case, that, you know, technology will be a game changer.
0: Now, one of the things, and this is your favorite topic, because I know it's near and dear to your heart, is revenue generation. Uh, One of the topics that we talk about on this channel, which I'm noticing it's across every company I talk to, every individual I've talked to is they describe a a, sort of a a problem that it's crossed the entire industry is called revenue generation, Uh, especially on the SMB side, small to medium businesses. It's it's a quite, you know, you can see it, it's pattern that there is a revenue generation problem. Now, you come from the outside of the industry and, you know, I'm in sales as well. Um, How do you, how did you see it when you first came into language and what methodology did you implement to, Achieve growth and how do you recommend in a general terms? We're not looking for the secret sauce here. In general terms, how did you, um, what do you recommend for other companies to consider?
1: Well, at a very, very high level, I, um, my take when I got to Lion Bridge is that we were very internally focused, um, and, and that that is certainly not something I think is at the forefront of going out and acquiring new customers. Um, and, you know, as, as you have um, seen me write several times that, um, you know, coining one of the great management consultants, Peter Drucker of all time, um, the business of a company is to create a new consumer or, or a new customer every day. And, and so how do you go about and do that? I mean, culturally, I think it's very important that your employees are in tune with that. Um, That when you have potential customers, you do everything to win those customers and service them. Um, And that you think about proactively is how do you innovate and bring customer solutions? I think very um, pointedly to to some of the problems you point out in the S&B space is that translation by itself has some complexity in the sale process. Um, and you know we bought Gengo a few years ago, which is self, you know, fabulous asset for us with self serve capability. But all the folks in the self serve space got to a certain level and then kind of stalled on growth because what we saw was, hey, once you you go up the food chain, the bigger customers, the higher end of the SMB space or enterprise space. Um, they need more personalized service and they need more interaction with the supplier to deal with the various things that and, and complexity of their projects. Um, so I think that continues to be the largest impediment of growth for a lot of companies that have not traditionally in this space invested heavily in sales and marketing and have built large inside sales machines that, that can um, really go out and service a wide swath of small customers. Um, and so the last thing I would ask because I could talk about this for quite a while. Um, the customer experience is super important. Um, and years ago, the business to business sale had what I'll call a free pass because consumers didn't expect to have the same experience in a business to business environment as they had. And I can say a consumer, the business consumer um, than they did in their own personal lives when they started using cool apps and websites and e-commerce. And it was like wow this is a revelation it's so easy to buy this stuff like when i deal with companies as a business buyer why is it so hard and that is now changing and i think table stakes now is you have to have a great customer experience and if you don't um you can throw all your ambitions about having sales and revenue generation out the window but customer experience is paramount
0: absolutely and you know to that end, you know I've noticed uh, you know on on a personal level working with you and the team the transformation that you've introduced from the simplification uh, objective that you set for the company, which greatly uh, you know at least embedded, you know we've changed quite a quite a number of processes and it embedded it into people's mind that we need to simplify and it's on on their on their mind. And the other part which I really like is everybody's now involved in the uh, in the sales process. It wasn't, hmm. you know, in the past, and it's similar to any other organization. that We're not different. It was a task to, you know, number a few people that they do, which is they do sales, which is a sales team generally. But now you can you can find that there's, you know, more people involved in the sales process. Now I was talking to a, a small medium company um, not too long ago, and I was asking the question. I said, "So do you have a sales team?" And the and the answer was no. I said, "So who, how do you sell? Like who sells who sells your services?" He says I rely on my project managers to do the sales. Now, there's a pros and cons to life, I guess. In every in every model and every scenario, in this case, it works for this company. But the point taken was, once you involve that layer in the sales process, you end up with a better outcome. I think. Any thoughts on that?
1: Uh I think that has been. Um the way that lots of small translation agencies operate. Um, sure. and, and and I've talked to literally hundreds over the last years that don't really have sales forces and they have operations people masquerading as sales folks. And um it's generally okay. Um, but what you don't see are big organic growth numbers with any of those companies in in in, re- in reality. And I think it also takes away um from the project manager really, really focusing on the end result from the customer because they're conflicted. Now, that doesn't mean to your point where when you have an opportunity, you, you get everybody in the company involved because you know the beauty of the project managers, they typically know a lot more about what's happening at the customer and with the customer and what's really important to the customer. Um, and you know, and, and as you again have heard me say, um, I always tell our folks, please put your sh- yourself in the shoes of a customer. Like what looks good for the customer? They're not talking to you just because it's a beautiful Friday afternoon. It's nice to talk to Robin today. Robin's a good guy, but they have other things to do. And they're, they have career aspirations. They want to do well. And so I was like, what can you do to make the customer look good and help them look good? Because they have all these constituents back where they were. And they want to be able to say, in this case, we use Limebridge. Look what happened. It was a fantastic experience. Everybody benefited, et cetera. And they're the ones who chose them, right? So I think to put yourself in, in the shoes of the customer, understand what a win is for the customer, what complicated problems they're trying to solve while they're talking to you. I mean, that to me is the most important thing. And if you can figure that out, um, usually you'll have a pretty successful outcome
0: do John. let's shift a little bit because everybody's on their mind is what's next what's the vision for language and you know I hear that quite often uh from um, from the my contacts from the audience yeah. what's the vision for language where where are we where is this company going next in your opinion now that you've you know we had the uh, AI division that was sold yeah. now you, you know you're shaping the company you're setting up on a good footing for the for the future
1: what does the future look like for language? Well, the future is different for sure. And, and we, we set a strategy out five years ago, um, which by and large still exists, was to, to focus on high growth verticals. Um, our, our AI data training business, um, our games business, which has been going gangbusters and fantastic um, uh, business for us, which is growing at really, really high rates. Our, our life sciences business um, and our OPI business. Now, I, I won't spare everybody why we got into all those very demographic related, huge population of people that play games in the world, aging populations of the world, totally end of different end of the spectrum that need healthcare for years to come, uh, medical devices, clinical trials, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think the strategy still is valid and we retest that all the time. Um, and then our regional strategy for the Americas, Canada, US, Europe, Asia, et cetera. Um, The vision that I set out now, um, interestingly fueled by generative AI in some respects, was two, two and a half years ago to localize everything and give our customers the ability to democratize localization and take localization to parts of the company that never existed before um, and to be able to be very rapid from a response standpoint with marketing campaigns, get more data and analytics back. Uh, but really to, con- to localize content sets that were either um, out of reach from an economic standpoint or out of reach from a technical standpoint. And so we want to give our customers the ability to localize any piece of content they have within a framework that they can afford.
0: And in your, uh, ba- to, to ba- you know, based on this and to capitalize on what you just said, in your opinion uh, now, um, what sets Linebridge apart when you compare it to the other players in the industry, if a customer is considering to do business with Linebridge, um, from your own, in your own words, what what do you think the key ingredients that would make a customer come to Linebridge stick with Linebridge and stay with Linebridge for a long time?
1: Uh, there's lots of ways to answer that question. I think the easiest is that our employees really care about customers and they will do anything to make sure that our customers have a great experience. Um, and I think the proof of the pudding is that our net promoter scores continue to climb and, and, and reach new highs. Every time I don't think we're going to go any higher, we do. Um, and so our employee engagement is really high. Our customer engagement is really high. Um, at, outside of that, there's a whole lot of things we're bringing to the market from a technology standpoint, et cetera. But, um, you know, I, I always look at when you do business with people that care about you, and are interested in your success. That's usually a pretty good quotient for for um, for you winning and feeling good about what you're doing. Absolutely. And
0: now looking looking ahead in in terms of where uh, the company, as you mentioned earlier, in terms of vision, in terms of where we're going. where do you think the most you know the obstacle that you you vision down the road that I have to remove this obstacle in order for me to continue forward here? If you were to think about the challenges ahead. Uh, and that you need to to solve without probably naming again the uh, the exact ingredients. But where do you think the m- most roadblocks that you need to remove to continue the vision forward?
1: Really good question. I um, I think it's talent and 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 making sure that you have um, as life evolves and um, AI evolves and the pace of change evolves. Um, it, the difficult thing about companies is the team that got you to where you are may not be the same team that gets you to where you need to get to. Um, and so um, from a technology standpoint, a product standpoint, a service offering standpoint, an operation standpoint, all sales, all super critical. So I worry all the time if you have the right talent. I think if you have the right talent in place in, in any company, you can do anything.
0: So it's about talent it's about human resources and having the right people in the right place at the right moment basically that's what you're saying
1: yeah i mean if if you're in the you know in the oil business and downstream production is the most important thing to you you know people are important as well but in services-based business that we are people are paramount if you don't have the right people you could have a great translation management system you could have a great workflow engine you could have a slick invoicing module you could have all kinds of things like that but if you don't have the right people um, I, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to be in that company
0: so um, based based on this one and when you look at that particular obstacle I know uh, you're uh, uh, from working with you and, and listening to you lead this organization you focus quite a bit on on talent and human resources in general um, do you think we have the right talents or do we have to hire develop or what's in general what where do you, what do you what's your view
1: on this one Promote from within yeah it's a great i I don't think i've ever woken up one morning and said, ah this is it it's like it's perfect it's equal it's great Uh, i wish i did i'd probably sleep better um i think we're we've got a great nucleus that i and i I look a lot at um you can use any kind of uh, metaphor analogy the the um you know if you think about a great orchestra and you're a conductor um you you need not everybody is going to be the star cellist. Um, you, you, you but but you you need you know it's a big complicated um, very integrated um, production, and I think companies are are much the same. Right, is not everybody is going to be the star developer or the star salesperson, but you you need a combination of of talent that can collaborate. I think more important than ever. Um, in today's day and age, that can collaborate um, and has a view, but I think the more the most important ingredient is that your organization continues to be curious about the future and curious about how things work and and how to how to do things better and evolve.
0: Absolutely. Now, the uh, one of the I think the last category of topics that I would like to address for you and get your opinion on is. There has been a lot of conversation around localization being part of the uh, the knowledge base industry, knowledge base economy, etc. What's your view on this? And do you imagine a day where entire localization industry be bolted onto another subset of the knowledge base industry uh, and become part of that uh, as technology evolves, as we develop things uh, in the future?
1: Yeah. I never say never. Um, I certainly think we continue to evolve in the knowledge base industry for sure. Um, and um, but I do think there's some uniqueness to local stage the industry that will that will survive for a period of time and 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 not be, be subsumed by other kinds of companies that just make this a capability or an offering. I could be wrong, but I don't think so.
0: Like one of the one of the areas that I'm interested in, and I started doing some discussions on, is collaboration with other subsets of the knowledge based industry, which yeah. creates a lot of possibilities for both. Yeah. Uh, for both standards. So one of the things is we did a uh, I did a couple of podcasts on. Is um, I did a I did a panel on knowledge based industry where we talked to to e learning companies and how yeah. they fit within the knowledge based industry. You got to I think about the not the localization industry as a. a a small piece in a long trajectory of content from the start to the end you know there's a toward the end there's somebody needs to translate this content and then it goes to publishing but if we think about it from a you know it specifically in this type of example an e-learning industry where you're creating the content and you're collaborating on creating the content then it gives you a better outcome for the customer
1: yeah yeah, no, uh, no doubt, and we're already there in a lot of ways. I mean, multimedia and e-learning is one example of many, and, and, re- and really fascinating and interesting. Uh, uh, in a lot of ways, a whole new area of localization, and fueled by COVID. Um, the the other piece is just generally around content, and you know, some of the things that we've already been able to do with what you know we call smart content, language smart content, is we can already, as you know, tell a customer. Hey, you know the content you've got here—it's not well written, and 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 because it's it it needs a little bit of help or tuning, it's going to be more expensive to translate. Um, and we can actually go in and help um, amend, edit, tweak the content, um, and actually make it more flow more seamlessly with less back and forth and workflow with the customer. Um, and I think we're in the early days of that, and we proved that two years ago. And that's when generative AI came, where I was was alluding to before. I was like, wow, wow, this is what I needed, right? This can absolutely take us to the next level, both from a content creation, um, content enablement, enhancement, proliferation, and then, of course, downstream localization.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you bring a very good topic, and we've talked about it quite quite a bit, is the outcome that counts. Yeah. When you translate as a customer or you use any services e-learning translation whatever service you use you're interested in the outcome and the
1: performance of that particular piece of content that you've dealt with on any level that yeah, was well, as as i like to say um don't love the process love the outcome correct
0: absolutely and and i know at langbridge we uh we start to introduce the notion of measuring the outcome of particular content and how it performs yeah you know that's that's the measurement i know in e-learning they have level 1 level 2 testing level 3 level 4 testing just to measure the impact of this particular content on a particular individual did it improve did it help did it support uh etc and in localization is the same way if you're translating to a marketing piece for a website did it actually generate sales uh did it drive right. traffic
1: the holy grail yeah the holy grail
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I don't want to take too much of your time. I know we're coming up on the uh, on the bottom of the hour here. We only booked one hour for this particular conversation. But I'm really well, I, don't, I don't want I don't want to bore your audience to death. No, no, I I, I'm look, I'm so thrilled that you're able to join me today. I really appreciate it, John. Thanks for your time. Is there oh, any, my pleasure. any Any other comments that you'd like to share before we
1: uh, terminate? No, thank you for. Uh, other than thanking you for having me, and hello to everybody in Canada, and some some, uh, some probably old friends uh, that I look forward to seeing, and uh, and I hope your numbers keep going up on the podcast.
0: I really appreciate it, John. Thanks again for the uh, okay, for joining me today. Have a great weekend. Thank you, and thanks to the audience for uh, having uh, joined us today on this podcast. I really appreciate you listening in. If you haven't subscribed yet, please consider subscribing to this channel. We appreciate your support. And thank you, John, again. Consider this channel as your home. If you have any other announcement you want to share with everybody, would love to have you again. Thank you again, John.
1: Appreciate okay. Thank it. you. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Localization Fireside Chat. Take the warmth of knowledge and renewed cultural passion with you. Keep exploring. Stay curious. And until next time, this is Robin Ayu. Keep those global conversations alive.